Is it on? All right. Well, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10 this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there. But while you're turning, I'm going to give you an update and just talk about how good God's been to us for a few minutes. Man, what a wonderful crowd this morning. I looked up and, my goodness, this is awesome. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm excited about what God's doing all over the world. I'm in a, I'm in a small rural community. This would be, probably be considered a small rural community. Uh, but, but I keep up with pastors and churches all over the United States, missionaries all over the world, and I'm sure Brother Fielder could testify this to, to be true. Man, God is doing a work all around the world right now, and, and I see it happening, especially in my generation. Young people are desperate to hear the truth. They want to know what the Bible says. They want to hear what the truth is, and they're not opposed to it. They're not turning away from it. They're looking for it. Now, that's not everyone. You know, there's still, there's still issues and there's still problems. But what, I'm, what I see is God doing an amazing work. He's doing it where I'm at, and I'm going to tell you about that in just a minute. He's doing it here. Uh, he's doing it in churches just like this one all over the United States. And that, that is something I think we, could, we can praise God for. Amen? And we can give Him glory for. We can exalt His name for it. Uh, God's not done. He's not out of commission. He's not finished. He's still on the throne. He's still doing a work. He's still saving people. People are still getting baptized. People are still surrendering to go to the mission field. God is still doing a wonderful work in our world. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I am just committed to serving Christ with my life. Because I don't serve a God that has got his hands tied. Now, this is not the message, but I like it, so we're going to keep going for a minute, all right? God, he don't have his hand tied. He's not handcuffed. He's not stuck and, and don't know what to do. He knows what's going on, and he's looking for people like me and people like you who are willing to step out on faith and serve him, and if we'll be faithful, then he'll be faithful. He made a promise to us in the New Testament. He said he would build his church. He's going to do it. He just needs people like me and you to be faithful to him. And God's been so good to us. I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. God has been so merciful to us. I've been thinking about God's mercy a lot this week. I don't deserve to be here this morning. I don't deserve to be a pastor. I don't deserve to preach the gospel. But yet God has enabled me, allowed me, given me opportunity to do just that. And I'm so grateful for the mercy. The mercy of God is not getting what I do deserve. And then also for his grace giving me what I do not deserve. And I am so grateful for both the mercy and the grace of God. He's been so good to us. At Bethel Baptist Church, God is blessing the ministry tremendously. Uh, we're, seeing, we're seeing slow, steady growth. And I've been told, everybody I tell that to, I've been told that's a good thing. You keep it slow and steady and you'll be just fine. And, and so we're seeing God continue to add people. We see visitors almost on a weekly basis. We'll have visitors come in. And uh, God has been so good to us. Over this last summer, we was able to do a vacation Bible school. And the first one, to my, my understanding is the first vacation Bible school that this church has ever done in its history. Uh, we did a, a vacation Bible school. We had bounce houses. I, I took my dad's model, and we did our best to re recreate it in Hillsville. And uh, we had a great turnout. We had 10 or 12 kids there each night. One young man got saved. Another young man got assurance of his salvation. And uh, we were just praising God for what he did at Vacation Bible School. We had an event the Saturday following Vacation Bible School that we just called Family Fun Day. We had all of our bounce houses from Bible School going. And uh, we invited the community to just come. And, and we had food trucks there and bounce houses and games. And just come hang out, get to see the church. 
And we had over, best we can count, we had over 100 people come, come through the church property that day, get, get the gospel given to them, uh, and uh, invited to church. And st we've still seen fruit from that as people come and visit, even months later that they come by and visit the church. And so we're so grateful for what God did this last summer. Uh, then I went to Florida in July. I went to Florida for two weeks and took a seminary class. I'm still working on my master's degree, and so I'm doing most of my classes online, but I can go down there in the summer and take a full class in nine days. And so I did that. We went down there and took the family. We went down in July. We had, she had just, uh, Callie had just been born. She was two weeks old, and uh, so we drove all the way to Florida. I took the class, we did well in it, and we came back, and I, kind of like I am this morning, while we was gone, we was gone two Sundays, and I was nervous, kind of like I am right now, about, you know, what's happening at, at Bethel, right? I mean, maybe I should just call them, actually. I left my, oh, no, but, but I was a little nervous, and man, we got back, though, and the two Sundays following when we got back was the two highest attended services that we've seen since we've been there, and it's almost like God was just telling me, hey, this is not about you. Whether you're here or not, if you're being faithful, I'm going to build my church. And uh, so I'm just so grateful for what God's doing. Looking forward into September, we're doing what we're calling Outreach Month in September. We're taking every Sunday night. I'm going to give a devotion at 6 o'clock, and then we're going to take uh, door hangers and flyers and church invites, and we're going to go into our community every Sunday night for about an hour and just blitz our community, outreach, give the gospel, invite people to church. We're going to do that every Sunday night, and then... Uh, as well as our Saturday morning visitation. And so really emphasizing our local outreach next month. Then the month of October, we're having a missions conference to start the first Sunday and go through Wednesday. And then we're having, we're, I've got a speaker lined up for that. We're, and then that whole month, though, will be missions emphasis month, kind of like what y'all are doing here. So the, the conference is going to kick it all off. And then we're going to have one of our missionaries the second Sunday, one of our missionaries the third Sunday, uh, and maybe if, if Robbie will agree to come, we might have Robbie come on the third Sunday, okay? So, so you keep that in mind, Robbie, okay? Um, but we're looking forward to what God's going to do that month as we emphasize our missionaries. And, and let me just speak to that briefly, too. When we went uh, a year ago in July, the missions fund for the church had $3 in it. And the month of July that we went, they only paid their missionaries. We have 12 missionaries. They had paid them half support. The reason for that is because they ran out of money. There was only $3 left in the account. And so I said, well, we've got to do something about this. So we started praying, and by God's grace, we've been able to pay all of our missionaries full support every full month that we've been there. We started in August. That next month, we paid all 12 of them full support. God provided in tremendous ways. Our missions fund has grown now substantially. There's several thousand dollars in our missions fund just one year in. We're, we're praying about adding at least one missionary going into the next year. And God has just blessed that so tremendously. And, and uh, I, I believe he will continue to bless it. If we stay faithful and we give, uh, God will continue to grow that uh, account, that fund. But really, it's, it's that ministry. And uh, so we're looking forward to the next two months. September, local outreach. October, worldwide outreach really going to emphasize the gospel and its presentation and, and doing the work of the ministry. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll jump into Luke chapter 10. I want to give you a few things to think about this morning uh, concerning this thought. We are to work. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Uh, Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for how you provide. Uh, thank you for how you're blessing churches and ministries all over this nation, all around the world. 
Father, I pray that we would be faithful. I pray that you would help us to just be faithful, to be true to your word. Father, help us not to get so caught up in the work of the ministry that we forget who we are and who we're working for and what our mission is and our calling. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning to get a perspective from Luke chapter 10 on one of the aspects of following Jesus. We'll give you all of the glory and the praise. Help me as I speak. I pray I'd be clear. Father, I don't want to be confusing. I don't want to miscommunicate. Help me to articulate everything clearly and correctly to do justice to your precious and holy word. We love you. We ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Being a follower of Jesus includes many things. You know, the question, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, that, that, that question, we, we could give a list of answers to that question. Um, being a follower of Jesus is not simply something that we do, though. It's more of who we are. It's an identity. We are a follower of Jesus. And so what does that mean? Well, this morning, I want to give us one answer to that question. Now, I understand that there's many and this is not a conclusive message on what it means to follow Jesus, but this is one aspect of following Jesus that I think will be helpful. And here it is. I'll give it to you. As followers of Jesus, we are to work. As followers of Jesus, we are to work. I have an illustration. I tried this at our church when I preached this message there, and it did not go well. So <clears throat> we're going to try again, okay? Um, how many of you know the insurance company Farmers Insurance? Have you heard of them? Farmer's insurance, okay. Um, what is their slogan, their, their little jingle? You, are you, track, you understand what I'm saying here? Their little tune, their marketing device. It's we are farmers. Oh, there we go. Yes, thank you so much. You got the little bump, 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 bump. My church completely did not do that at all. Let's try, let's try one more time. Okay, let's do it. We can do it better here. All right, we are farmers. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. You're going to leave here today singing, we are farmers, not Savior like a shepherd lead us, right? But um, We are farmers. Farmers Insurance has done a great job marketing their insurance company using that little song, that little tune, whatever you want to call it. But they're not the ones who invented it. I think that Jesus said something very similar in Luke chapter 10. I want you to look at it with me this morning. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse number 1. The Bible says, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Okay, now before we get any farther, we're going to have to stop and back up just a little bit. Look at the first words of the chapter is after these things. When you see that in the Bible, your immediate question ought to be, what things? Where are we at? What is going on? What's taking place? So let's back up a few verses. Go back to Luke chapter 9 and look with me at verse number 51. I want to show you a transition that's taken place in the book of Luke. And this is important because it's going to set up the question that we ask at the beginning. Verse 51 of Luke 9 says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he, that is Jesus, should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. All right, there's a transition taking place here in the book of Luke. It's obvious, uh, it's an obvious transition because Luke is saying, as it, and it came to pass, so he's transitioning in his story. It's also a geographical transition because Jesus at this point is going to set his face towards Jerusalem. His ministry had been here in Galilee, but now he's transitioning from Galilee and he's beginning the journey to Jerusalem. 
The, the phrase, he set his face, simply means he made up his mind. He determined, he made a decision that now he's going to go to Jerusalem. So there's a geographical transition. There's also a spiritual transition. Because from this point on in the book of Luke, you'll find Jesus' teaching is primarily aimed, not that he doesn't do miracles, not that he doesn't uh, uh, teach the crowds, but primarily his teaching is aimed at preparing his disciples for what was going to take place in and after Jerusalem. So what was going to take place in Jerusalem? Well, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would receive a crown, but the crown of thorns would not be something that any royalty would use as their accessory. Uh, he would be lifted up, but not on a man-made throne. Uh, he would be... Uh, before crowds, but he would not be received pleasantly. You see, what waited for Jesus was a cross. And when Jesus made up his mind to go to Jerusalem, here's what he's doing. He's committing himself, not that he wasn't already, but he's reassuring that he is committed to doing the will of God, the will of his Father. Jesus knows the cup that waits for him. Now, now, this is reiterated in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is kneeling there praying great drops of, he's sweating great drops of blood. He's praying so fervently. What does he pray, though? Let this cup pass from me. Yes, but what came before that? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was completely surrendered to the will of God for his life. So Jesus, by example, in Luke chapter 9, is showing us that you and I as followers of Jesus ought to be completely committed to God's will for our life. Now what follows Jesus' decision is three men who thought they were committed followers of Jesus. And Jesus shows them that they actually were not as committed as they thought. Look at verse 57 of chapter 9. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord... I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So this first man says, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus says, you, you are too comfortable with where you're at. You're too comfortable. You're using getting out of your comfort zone as an excuse not to follow Christ. Now, we don't know if this man followed Christ or not in the end, but we're given his example by Jesus they say, hey, sometimes serving Christ is uncomfortable. Sometimes it's going to get a little uncomfortable. You're going to have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit to serve Christ. Watch number 57. Excuse me, 58. Excuse me, 59. We'll get there in a minute, okay? In the 59. And he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Well, that seems like a pretty good excuse but Jesus saw through his motives and realized it was simply an excuse. How often do we make excuses why we can't do the will of God in our lives? Notice verse 61, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So three men... <clears throat> All three want to follow Jesus, claim to follow Jesus, claim to be committed to God's will, but Jesus quickly reveals to them that they are not as committed followers of Christ as they thought they were. Now we come to chapter 10, verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also, 
and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he, turn, whether he himself would come. I'm just going to tell you this morning, you want to be numbered among the 70 of chapter 10, not the 3 of chapter 9. You want, to be, you want to be included in the 70 that Jesus found that would follow him, that would go wherever he wanted, that would do whatever he wanted them to do, that would be committed to the will of Christ for their life. We want to be numbered with the 70 of chapter 10 and not so much with the 3 of chapter 9. God help us not to make, make excuses why we can't do the will of God. But may we follow the example of Christ and say, I know sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable. I know that sometimes the cup may be bitter. I know that sometimes it's going to be tri trials. There may be difficult times, but I'm committed to doing the will of God for my life. I am committed to serving Christ. I'm committed to being a follower of Jesus. Okay, so are you with me? We want to be with chapter 10, not chapter 9. Are we okay? Okay, so then the question comes, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Okay, I'm committed. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to do the will of God. What am I getting myself into? I'm not going to make excuses. I'm going to be fully committed to what God's will is for my life. What is that? What am I supposed to do? Luke chapter 10 answers that question in three ways. I'm going to give you the outline of the whole chapter so you can do some study on your own. But we're just going to look at the first one this morning, okay? Luke chapter 10, what, am, what is a follower of Jesus? Number one, as a follower of Jesus, we are to work. That's verse 1 through verse 24. Number two, as a follower of Jesus, we are to witness. That's verse 25 through 37. And number three, as a follower of Jesus, we are to worship. That's verse 38 through 42. So this morning, we're going to focus on the first 20 verses, really, of Luke chapter 10. And I want us to look at this thought. As a follower of Jesus, we are to work. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10. Let's look at verse number 2. We'll pick up there. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers, you should underline that word, are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth, here it is again, laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, say first, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon you. If not, it shall turn to you again. And we'll, we'll pick up some more of these verses as we go along. But we're going to stop right there, and I'm going to give you point number one. Number one this morning... As a follower of Jesus, we are to work, number one, these men were sent by Jesus. You'll notice a couple key words in verse one. It says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70. He commissioned them. In verse number one also, you'll see the word sent them, two and two. Then further down, you'll see that he would pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse three says this, go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. This is their authority. These men were not sent by a king of earth, but they were sent by the king of kings. King over all, Lord of all, the great I am, we would say. This is Jesus Christ. His, his, Jesus Christ is the greatest boss ever. How many of you had a bad boss? 
Y'all ever worked for a bad boss? I didn't, and he just kept giving you stuff to do, and you was like, I, you're just a bad boss, right? Jesus is not a bad boss. He's the greatest person. He's the greatest boss. He's the greatest being that we could ever work for. He is high and He is holy, but He is also good and He is gracious and He is just and He is loving. And when Jesus sends you on a job, you better go do it. You don't want to be making excuses. If the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ Himself commissions you to go do something, I don't think... At least for me, I won't speak for you, but for me, I don't want to make an excuse as why I can't. And no matter how good of an excuse it may be, Father, if you want me to go, I'm going to go. May I never have something in my life that becomes more important than the will of God for my life. This is the example that Jesus set for us in Luke chapter 9. And now he's sending these 70 men who are committed He's sending them out. You go, two and two, go preach the gospel. Okay, where did he send them? Well, he sent them to preach the gospel, but notice where he sent them. Into every city. This is important. I love this so much. Because here's the truth this morning. If you're alive and breathing, then you are a candidate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every city implies every person, every home. No one is exempt. No one is unreachable with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought to take the gospel everywhere with us. Listen to this. No person, no past, no color, no history, no family, no mistake, no failure, no nationality, no preference, no interest, no political agenda, no religion, no race, no difference, no job, no financial situation, no denomination, and no inflation can ever cancel the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. It is available to you. Every person ought to be able to hear and be able to have a decision on whether they will receive the gospel or not. Jesus said, don't back away from any city. You go into every city. In Luke chapter 9, just previously, you'll find that Jesus went into the city of Samaria. And he was rejected. They told him, you can't come here. We're not going, you're, you're a Jew and we're Samaritans and so you keep going. We're not interested in you. Every city, whether they receive you or not, whether they like you or not, you go to all people, all places, all times. You preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm sending you. I am your authority. You're going in my power. Now go preach the gospel. Who does Jesus send? He sends disciples. What does the word disciple mean? Follower of Jesus. So by implication, by extension, this saying, sent, applies to you and me this morning. It's not just for preachers or missionaries to go preach the gospel. You understand that? Has God given you a story? Do you have a story of God's grace and God's mercy in your life? If God's been good to you, if God has saved you, if God's grace and mercy has been shown to you, you have a story to tell. You have a Savior to lift up. And may we all be committed to the will of God for us, that we will be followers of Jesus who are committed to do 
the work. I'm not just going to leave it to the pastor. I'm not just going to leave it to the missionaries. But I am going to be a missionary in my community. I am going to preach the gospel to my neighbor. I am going to obey the will of God. He has sent me. Listen, if all there was to the Christian life was salvation, then why are we not in heaven right now? If there was no job to do, why did he leave us here? Well, the Bible really answers that question. is because you and I are to be witnesses to the world. You and I are to preach the gospel to the world. You and I are to exalt Christ to the world. It's our job to be sent and preach the gospel to all nations, all people, all places, every city. Some will accept, some will reject. Our job is to present. Number one, they were sent by Jesus. I want you to notice secondly this morning. They were to be satisfied with Jesus. They were to be satisfied with Jesus. Look at verse number eight. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, uh, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out of the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you, notwithstanding. Be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. Okay. Being sent by Jesus is their authority. Being satisfied with Jesus is their payment. This is their payment. They're satisfied with Christ and Christ alone. Now let's put this into a little bit of perspective for us. Here's the fact. People will reject the gospel. They will. I don't understand how. I don't understand why. But they will. Sometimes we do ministry because, and, and these men, in fact, are going to, we're going to come back to this idea at the end of this. These, we do ministry oftentimes because we want to see somebody on the altar crying. Man, we, we live for the moments when someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. And this is great. There's nothing wrong with this. But recently, I sat across the table from a 14-year-old boy, and I shared the gospel as clearly as I know how. And by the end of it, he had tears running down his cheeks. And I asked him, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he thought about it for several seconds, and then he looked at me in the face and said, not right now. And he got up and he left. Have you, if you've never had that happen, that hurts. What am, what am I doing? I, I presented it as clearly as I know how. I did everything right, Lord. And he walked out? Where's the fruit? You said you would build your church. Where's the fruit? Where's the people coming to know Christ? What's going on? Jesus tells these men, there will be people who reject the gospel. And when they do, you let me handle that. You let me be enough for you. You just keep being faithful. You shake the dust off and you go to the next city. You let me take care of those people. You be faithful and let me be enough for you. We, we sometimes, and as a pastor, I get 
I love the high moments of ministry. When people get baptized and people get saved, and that's wonderful. But that's not all ministry is. I found that out in the last year. Sometimes there's dry spells. Sometimes people are, you don't see visitors. Sometimes people aren't getting saved. And Jesus says in those moments, don't be discouraged. Don't let the devil get on your back and tell you you're no good, that God's not using you, nothing's happening. Listen, if you're being faithful, then you just keep being faithful and you let God take care of the results. Be satisfied with Jesus. Is he enough for you to do ministry? If you never see anybody come to Christ because of your work, will Jesus be enough for you to still work? If you never see the results of your labor in this lifetime, is Jesus enough for you to still do the work? Is he enough for you to still preach the gospel? Is he enough? Has he done enough for you that you can still go into every city, that you can still preach the gospel to all people? Is Jesus enough for you? Sometimes ministry is great. It's always great. But sometimes it, it can be discouraging. And maybe you're here this morning and you're just a little bit discouraged in your work. You've been trying to be faithful. You've been trying to keep a good testimony. You've been trying to, to do all the right things and it just seems like God has just left you out as a lamb in the middle of wolves. Christ, what are you doing? God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you. What, why am I not seeing any fruit? Where are you? He's there. Let him be enough for you. And you just continue to do the work of the ministry. You continue to preach the gospel. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Jesus said, in this world you will have, you will have persecution. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Let Jesus be enough for you. Keep doing the work. Don't get weary. You keep going. You keep serving. You keep preaching. These, these disciples did not preach the gospel in order to get rich. <laughs> I don't understand anybody who would go into the pastorate to get rich. I'm telling you, don't do it. If you want to get rich, don't do it, okay? These men didn't do it to get rich. They didn't do it to get popular. We're, we live in the social media age, and I see people constantly causing confusion on social media platforms in the name of doing the ministry. Be careful about that. Be careful there. We don't do ministry to gain followers on our social media platform. We do the work of the ministry to share the gospel with people and give Jesus an opportunity to touch their life. Let Jesus be enough for you. Don't give up. Keep going. When they, when they refuse you and they reject you and they throw you out, you just shake the dust off. You say, the gospel came to your city. I'm going to the next. I'm going to go to the next town. I'm going to go to the next person. I'm going to go to the next opportunity. God, give me another opportunity to share your word. They didn't like it, but maybe the next one will. Maybe the next one will. And we keep going, and we keep going, and we keep going for the sake of the kingdom of God. Number one, they were sent by Jesus. Number two, 
They were satisfied with Jesus. Number three, they were saved through Jesus. They were saved through Jesus. All right, we're going to go down to the end of this account. I want you to look down with me at verse number 17. This is so cool. And the 70 returned again with, what's the next word? Joy. Let me just tell you, there is joy in serving Jesus. Even in the bad times and the good times, there's joy in serving Jesus. These 70 were accepted by some. They were rejected by others. But at the end of the day, they come back to Jesus full of joy because of what they had seen God do. All right, so continue, verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. But, uh, Christ, you, you got to, we couldn't believe it. We would speak the name of Jesus and the devils would, would submit to your name. Man, what you did through us was absolutely amazing. We saw God's power on this play. We saw God do amazing things. This was wonderful. This is the best thing ever. And, and Jesus just kind of deflates their balloon a little bit. It's, it's kind of interesting what he says. Look at verse number 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I'm going to give, I'm, I, give you, I, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Okay? Paul's right there. Jesus is saying, okay, you're right. There is great power in the name of Jesus. In fact, you've been faithful, so I'm going to give you more power. You're going to see greater things than these. I'm going to work in your life even more. Verse 19 is what's interesting to me. Or 20. Notwithstanding, in this, rejoice not. Okay, you're going to get power. You're going to get more power. I'm going to do great things through you. You're going to see people get saved. You're going to see devils removed. I'm, I'm going to bless your ministry, but don't rejoice in that. Don't rejoice in people getting saved. Don't rejoice in God's power being on display. Don't rejoice in watching people get baptized and God do amazing. Jesus, what in the world are you telling us right here? Let's read on, get to the end of verse number 20. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Here's why we do ministry. This is their motivation. We don't do it. To, to take a picture of a full altar and post it on our Facebook page. Though that's probably great. And we can rejoice. And yes, we can praise God for what he's doing. But we don't do ministry to see the full altars. We don't do ministry to see, see God cast out demons and see miracles take place. Our motivation for ministry has nothing to do with what God is doing through us. But it has everything to do with what God has already done for us. We do ministry because God has saved us. I'm a pastor because it's the least I could do for what Jesus did for me. He's on his way to Jerusalem here. We know what would await him in Jerusalem. There's a cross. He would be lifted up, hands pierced, feet pierced. He would die on a cross in Jerusalem, just outside of Jerusalem. For what reason? For you and for me. For, for, for us to have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a universal problem, and it's called sin. We sin by nature. We sin by choice. 
We're sinners through and through. And there's nothing we can do about it. There's no way that you on your own can, can somehow muster up or come up with some plan that because you're a good person or because you've been baptized or because you attended church so many times or because you gave, an, gave money in an offering plate, you, you can't. None of those things matter. Religion is useless. God did not create religion. God created a relationship. He wants to know you, but because of sin, He cannot and you cannot know Him. There had to be someone who would come in your place and pay your penalty of sin for you. And that man's name was Jesus Christ. And He came and He lived. He taught. He did miracles. But at the end of His life, He was lifted up on a cross and He died for my sins and your sins. He took on Himself the sins of the world, and when He died, they died with Him. And then He offers to every person that is alive the free gift of salvation, saying, I've paid your sin penalty. I've paid the price. In Romans, we learn that the price is separation from God. The Bible word is death. It simply means separation from God. So, so, so there's an option now. Either you accept Christ's gift of salvation for you on the cross, or... You pay the penalty yourself when you die by being eternally separated from God. But there is a way to not be separated in this life or the next life. Man, I got more to go. Can I, got, can I get five, five more minutes? Okay, okay. Five more minutes. Stay with me, okay? We've got a choice now that I can choose to not be separated from God. And it's through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If I will accept His gift of salvation if I will accept what He's done for me on the cross, then I can be in communion with God today and forever. I can live knowing God. What a promise. Why, why are you a pastor at 25 years old? Because Jesus Christ gave everything to me. And I want to give everything I've got back to Him. And I pray you would do the same. Why is this important this morning? Okay, let me wrap this up real quickly. Why does it matter to you? Okay, pa Pastor John, why, why does it matter if I'm saved and satisfied and sent by Jesus this morning? Who's to say I can't just live my life and uh, work my job and go to church once or twice a week and, and when I die, I'll go to heaven, right? Yes, you will. If you're saved, if you've accepted Christ, you will. Your work has nothing to do with you going to heaven or not. So why does it matter this morning for you? Let me give you a statement, and then I'll illustrate it, and we'll be done. Here's the statement. The amount of work you do will equate the amount of harvest you receive. The amount of work that you do will equal the amount of harvest that you receive. Here's a question for you. How many of you had a garden this year? Lots of you. Okay, good, good. How many of you had a good garden this year? Did well? That's less, okay. Okay. <laughs> How many of you are like me and you had a garden that did not do well at all this year? It was a great disappointment to you. Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one that was disappointed. Listen, my garden did terrible. It was pathetic, okay? But I tried. I did my best. And I've begun over the last month as I've watched my garden slowly die into nothing. I've thought, what happened to my garden? What? And I began to make excuses. Well, the soil wasn't rich enough. There's never been a garden there before. The soil wasn't rich enough, so that's probably why. Well, well, we, 
we didn't water it enough. It got dry and we didn't water it enough. So that's, that's why. The weeds overtook the garden. And uh, so I, I just didn't have time and I didn't weed it like I should have. The weeds overtook it and that's why it didn't do well. And the list could go on and on and on. But what I found is that when I boiled down all my excuses, there's really only one reason why the garden didn't do well. And that reason is this. I didn't work hard enough. The soil wasn't rich enough. Yes, that's true, but if I had got a truckload of manure and put on it in the spring, it would have been rich enough. Well, it didn't, it didn't rain enough. Yes, that might be true, but if I had went out every evening faithfully and watered the garden, it would have had sufficient water. Well, the weeds just overgrow everything, and they took over. I didn't have time. Yes, maybe so, but if you would have made some time to go out and weed the garden every night, you would have received a better harvest. The reason that my garden didn't do as well as I wanted it to is because I didn't work hard enough. Now, let me bring it home right to you this morning. Jesus says in this chapter, Luke chapter 10, verse number 2, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. God, why is our church not growing? God, why does it seem like nobody wants to get saved anymore? God, why does it seem like everything's useless that we try to do? God, why am I always discouraged in my ministry? Why are we not seeing the great revivals like we used to see? And Jesus is saying, the harvest is not the problem. I'll give you the harvest but I need somebody to do the work. The amount of harvest you see is equal to the amount of work that you put in. God's the one who will build his church, but he chooses to do it through me and you. And if we're not preaching the gospel, if we're not sharing our story, if we're not doing the work and inviting people to church and being busy about what God has us doing and staying faithful to his calling, surrendered to his will, then who's to blame when churches die and when the gospel seems like it isn't as powerful as it once was? It's not God's fault. God help us to do the work. As a follower of Jesus, you and I are called to work. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the powerful lessons that we can learn from it. I pray that you would help us, Father, to serve you through doing the work of ministry. I pray you'd give each person here opportunity in the next week to serve you. I pray you'd give each person here opportunity to share the gospel. Father, to share what you have done in their life with someone this week. And I pray you'd help us to point all the praise and all the glory back to you. I love you. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.